Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Matthew 3, 1-12 Well, good morning. How you doing? Morning. Good to see everybody. So many beautiful faces out there and a few not so beautiful, but that's okay. You know what I'm saying? No, I'm just kidding. Everybody out there is beautiful. My name is Drake, and now that I've offended you, I'd like to introduce myself. And uh, I get to serve as the missional impact minister here at Christ Church. I engage with our missionaries um, you know, around the country and, and, and around the world, and I serve on the preaching team. Yeah, I preach from time to time. I'm excited today to open up our uh, new sermon series called Kingdom Come. We're going through the Gospel of Matthew. And don't tell Mark, Luke, or John, but Matthew's my favorite of the four Gospels. Like, I absolutely love it. I've always been captivated by it from the classes that I've taken to the times that I've read through it and heard sermons on it. I just love the, the Gospel of, of, of Matthew. And you might be thinking, well, isn't it like the same as the other the other three gospels and like kind of, but at the same time, no, not at all. They all talk about Jesus. He's the main subject of every gospel, that he's the son of God, the savior of the world, his death and his resurrection. Um, but they all present Jesus in a different light. This past summer, Elijah and I did a, a series uh, through the four gospels called Portraits of Jesus, where we talked about the different emphases that they put on Jesus. And speaking about Elijah, by the way, did you guys see him up here leading worship again? The guy's got it. He's got it. You know what I'm saying? Elijah used to have a, uh, you might call it like a Christian rock band uh, called Axios. Really cool. Uh, Led worship around the country and stuff like that. Elijah and I actually traveled together doing our our master's degree. We would go to different cities and take different classes and stuff. And I would always tell our new friends that we met while we were at these classes that my friend Elijah was in a Christian rock band and they were like pumped about it. You know, he actually asked me to bring it up to everybody we met. So (laughs) 
No, I'm kidding. But we, we, we preach this sermon series um, through the different gospels because every gospel author has a specific message about the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And I'm very excited for over the next couple of months, our church is going to get to open up the pages of Matthew's gospel and hear the message that Matthew has to share about Jesus. And before we get to the message about Jesus, I wanna ask an important question for our church at the beginning of this sermon series. Who's Matthew? Like, what do we know about this guy, the author behind the gospel? Like, what was his color code? Should he sign up for the seminar here in a couple of weeks, you know? What, was his, what were his passions and his, and his interests? Did he have a favorite food or a favorite, like, restaurant? Like, what was, he, what was he like? And to be honest with you, we know strikingly little about Matthew. What we do know is not all that awesome, by the way. We know that Matthew was a Jew and that he had befriended the Jewish people's greatest enemy. He had befriended Rome. In around uh, 63 BC, Rome had officially conquered the land of Palestine and they set up a puppet government. The leadership in which they instilled were Jewish men, but they were um, ruling at the authority and the pleasure of Rome. They were not free to rule as a Jewish state. They had to appease every wish and desire of Rome. One of the people that they put in charge was a man named Herod. Some people called him Herod the Great. The Romans called him Herod, King of the Jews. It's almost a, in a mocking sense. He's actually gonna come up later in the message today. But life was, life was rough for the Jewish people under the Roman occupation. They suffered many hardships and tragedies, one of which was harsh and unfair taxes and while some Jewish people worked zealously to give their lives to military training to work to overthrow the Roman government, other Jewish people like Matthew befriended Rome, went to work for Rome. And while many Jewish people suffered, Matthew got a job with Rome that got him a good wage. Matthew was a tax collector. His job was to enforce and to collect the tax that Rome had imposed on the Jewish people. And I don't know if this is true of Matthew, but we know it's true of many tax collectors of that era, that they would collect the tax that was due to Rome, but they would also collect more than was due and keep some for themselves. This is the story of Zacchaeus, if you remember him, the chief tax collector. So it's easy to think about Matthew and come to the understanding that many people did not like Matthew because he was a tax collector. He had befriended the greatest enemy of the Jewish people. And this is really, to be honest with you, all we know about Matthew before he met Jesus. And, and where would he meet Jesus but at his tax booth on a day collecting taxes? The exchange between Jesus and Matthew is fairly short. Jesus walks up to Matthew, sees him in his tax collecting booth and says, follow me. And scripture records that Matthew got up and followed him. And that decision, that brief, that brief decision that day changed Matthew's eternity, changed his life forever. And if you don't hear anything else from the message this morning, I think this is Matthew's core theme of his gospel. Jesus is king and the king is here. I think this is the whole point that Matthew wants to communicate to the readers of his gospel. And so Matthew, to communicate this point, begins his gospel with the genealogy of Jesus. 
A genealogy is the tracing, the study of ancestry and descent. And Matthew starts with genealogy to show where Jesus came from because genealogies reveal who our parents were, who our grandparents were, our great-grandparents, and everybody on our family tree. They can do more than just tell us names. They can tell us stories like who these people were, their passions, their interests, their failures, their accomplishments, their desires. They can tell us a whole lot. They can tell us the story behind the name. My paternal grandparents have done a great job of tracing our ancestry and they love to share um, our family history with us when we're, when we're gathered around. About a month ago, I was at my grandparents' house to visit my grandma for her 91st birthday. She is young, all right, she's beautiful. That's my grandma, all right, don't talk bad about my grandma. My grandpa called me over to sit next to him and uh, showed me a picture of his brother, my great uncle, George William Holderman, standing on an island in the South Pacific during World War II. And I know he didn't wear a shirt to church today. Don't judge him, okay? But he showed me this picture of my, my great uncle George and said to me, and these words meant a lot to me, he said, Drake, you remind me of my brother, George. Now, I'm a grown-up. Like, I'm not old. Like, I'm not 30 yet, but I'm a grown-up. And, I, like, these words meant something deep inside me. They instilled in me. You know that wondrous, this, that imagination you would get as a, as a child seeing pictures of people in your family who were, like, born in the 20s and stuff like that? Like, it filled me with this imagination, this wonder, like, who is this man? And I asked my grandpa to tell me some stories, and he told me stories about my, my great-uncle in war and how my great-uncle adopted a son into his family and that this is the man that my dad is named after, the man whom my oldest son bears his middle name. I was just filled with pride and encouraged to, to live a, a good story, to live a good life when I saw this picture and had this conversation with my, with my grandpa. Like, I don't want my great-grandchildren to just see pictures of me sitting at the local Starbucks sipping iced lattes. Like I want them to see pictures of me that encourage them and inspire them to live a life worth telling. That's why when I go to visit one of our missions partners in the Dominican Republic next week, I'm gonna recreate that picture for my great-grandchildren. You know what I'm saying? No, nobody wants that. Except maybe my wife is a Valentine's gift. I don't know, I'll think it through. You know what I'm saying? But uh, no, these, these, this is what genealogies can do. This is what family history does for us. It tells us the, the story of where we came from. And some of those stories are, are worth emulating. <laughs> Others are not. Like some people in our family history are just, they live their life and their, their life was not one that we should try to follow. They're more of an example of how not to live. This is what genealogies do for us. Jesus had the same thing in, in his family. He had liars and adulterers and murderers. And Matthew shares with us the genealogy of Jesus so that we can get a sense of where he comes from. But he focuses in on two people in his genealogy in particular. He focuses in on Abraham and David, not necessarily because of the way in which they lived, but because of promises that God made to both Abraham and David. God made a promise to Abraham in, or Abram at the time in Genesis chapter 12 when he said to him, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is a big promise that God makes to Abram and many years later, Abram still doesn't have any children and he's frustrated by his reality. And so God pulls him from his tent and he says, look up, in, look up into the sky and if you can count the stars, count them. 
Then he said to Abram, so shall your offspring be. This is the second time God has promised Abram this very thing. And a third time when he still had no children, God emphasizes the promise again and even gives Abram a new name. Genesis 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. And then after this third promise, Abraham's wife, Sarah, gave birth to their son, Isaac. And if we know the history, this is where the Jewish people came from. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob named Israel. 14 generations later, God makes a promise to David. David was chosen by God to rule and lead the Israelites for God's glory and for their good. And he didn't always do a perfect job, but God was always faithful to him. And one day God, speaking through the prophet Nathan, made a promise to King David. He said, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build my, a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. These promises that God made to Abraham and to David were promises that the Jewish people held on to. They knew these promises and most eagerly anticipated the fulfillment of these promises in the Messiah, the anointed king of Israel who would rule forever. And so Matthew records the genealogy. And what's interesting is that he records the genealogy of Jesus in a different structure than any of the other genealogies in scripture. Most of the time when a genealogy is recorded in scripture, it begins with the main subject and then either goes forward or backward to sow ancestry or descent. Not with this genealogy. When Matthew records the genealogy, he begins with Abraham and then he goes generations to David and then after the exile and then he ends with Jesus to show the promises of God have all found their fulfillment in Jesus. The message of Matthew chapter one is this, Jesus is king and the king is here. This is, the, this is the message of Matthew and he uses this genealogy to show that Jesus is the one whom the Israelites have longed for for so long. And he's here. And he's born of a virgin. And in Matthew chapter two, we meet a man whose name I have already mentioned before in this message, Herod. Some people called him Herod the Great. The Romans called him Herod, king of the Jews. And shortly after the birth of Jesus, Magi, or we call them wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem, divinely guided by a star. And they were coming to worship the one who had been born king of the Jews. And they showed up at Herod's palace in Jerusalem. And they went to Herod's palace as they were guided to this area of the country because this is where they would have expected the one to be born king of the Jews to be. They would have expected it to be Herod's son. The only problem for Herod was he didn't have a newborn son at the time. This is the day that Herod learned that the true king was here. Herod had feared for this day because Herod knew the promises of God made to Abraham and David that one would come from the line of David and rule on his kingdom forever. And Herod was nervous about this reality because that man was not Herod. Herod was not from the line of David. This, this throne was not for Herod. He was a puppet king and he knew it. 
And when he found out he was disturbed, Matthew gives us great insight into this. Matthew chapter 2 verse 3 says, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And upon this news, Herod sent the Magi to Bethlehem to locate Jesus. And they found him and they greeted him and they worshiped and they presented him with gifts suitable for a king, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And Herod told them to report back to him the specific location that he too might go and worship this newborn king. But in reality, it was further from the truth. Herod had no intention of worshiping the one who had just been born king of the Jews. His only intention was to eliminate the threat to the throne, which was Jesus, the true king, the legitimate king. Once again, the wise men were divinely guided and through a dream, they were warned to not go back to Herod. They were instead told to go back to their home country by a different route. And Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, was also warned divinely in a dream to take Mary and Jesus and to escape to Egypt for Herod's plan was not to come and worship Jesus, it was to kill Jesus. And so they escaped to Egypt. And once Herod found out that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave the order to kill all of the boys in Bethlehem's vicinity two years and younger. These boys massacred innocent victims of Herod's jealous rage. And nobody, nobody in this room is guilty of Herod's crimes but everybody is guilty of the same posture. We sit on a throne that is not for us to sit on. And to be clear, I'm talking about the throne of our very lives. From the beginning, Adam and Eve, we were not created to be the rulers or the authority of our own very life. We were to be instruments of God's glory and submit to him and live in obedience to his good plans for our lives and Ever since Adam and Eve, we have been pushing our king off the throne of our lives and taking that place for ourselves. And it doesn't always lead to the crimes that Herod committed, but it always leads to sin. And sin always leads to death and disaster in various forms and at various levels. We think that by occupying the throne of our very life, we can find life for ourselves and life to the fullest when we couldn't be further from the truth for only Jesus can attain that for us. For if we could ever attain anything without Jesus, it would not be worth attaining for it would only lead us to death and disaster. This is the posture that so many people take and it's apparent obvious to us all that our culture is obsessed with self-destiny and self-fulfillment. Where words like sovereignty and autonomy and power. They, they, they rule and reign in our culture. And it's not just in the world, it's in the church as well. It's you and it's me who have wiped the words like submission and sacrifice and obedience off the pages of our heart. And we have stepped onto the throne of our own lives that we might rule and lead ourselves. And it always leads to destruction, doesn't it? In our marriages, in our finances, raising our kids and our workplaces, 
When we step on the throne of our own lives, it always leads to disaster. This is, this is the message from Matthew chapter two. The throne of your very life does not belong to you. It belongs to Jesus. For Jesus is king and the king is here. So we step down from the throne of our lives for the true king, pure and eternal, to be Lord of our lives. And we echo the words of the apostle Paul when we do this. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And with this posture, we commit every movement of our lives from our marriages to our spending, to our leisure, to be in, in obedience to Jesus, the King who sits on the throne of our life. And when we do so, we take hold of the life that is truly life. And this is the only way to do so. Matthew chapter three, <clears throat> we fast forwarded several decades. Jesus is now a grown man and we're introduced to his cousin. His name is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is something of a spiritual herald and he's introduced with his job description from the prophet Isaiah. It says a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's whole job description, if you will, was to introduce the public to the Messiah that would bring about a new way of life, a, a heaven on earth, if you will. And so John's message to the world, his, his sermon to the world is this, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now his pulpit was the wilderness and his baptistry was the Jordan River and people were coming from all over the region to hear John's message and to be baptized by him as a symbol of repentance and in preparation for the coming kingdom of heaven. To say it simply, John was a popular preacher, but he wasn't popular with everyone. The religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were not fond of this new spiritual herald who was creating and stirring up a spiritual phenomenon in their land. And so they sent a delegation out to the Jordan River to observe what John the baptizer was doing. And when they walked up on the scene, John had some words for them when they arrived. He said, you brood of vipers, which is not a compliment, by the way. It's just, it's not like, hey, how you doing, guys? He said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. This is strong language. The language that John is using, like acts at the root of the tree and thrown into the fire, this is Old Testament language, language that was used by God to describe his coming wrath and judgment on pagan nations. And here John is using it against Israel, the leaders of the Jews, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he is saying to them a strong warning that you better get in line for this kingdom does not belong to you. It belongs to the one who is coming, who is greater than all of us. And his, well, he actually introduces him. His name is 
Jesus. Matthew says in Matthew 3, 11 through 12, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And in the very next verse, the king whom John is speaking of shows up to the river and is baptized by John. But before I read what happens in this scripture, I want us to pause. This is Matthew chapter three that we're in. I want us to think back to Matthew chapter one. Matthew gives the genealogy of Jesus and he shows Jesus to be the fulfillment of promises made to Abraham and David. Abraham and David were heroes of the faith, but they were simply men. And Jesus is shown to be descendants of both Abraham and David. He is the son of man, the son of men. But that's not all that he is. In Matthew chapter three, Matthew gives us insight into the relationship that Jesus has with God. Matthew 3, 16 through 17 says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. This is the genealogy of Jesus continued for Matthew. He is not just the son of Abraham. He is not just the son of David. Jesus, the king eternal, is the son of God. He is the one who will bring heaven to earth. His kingdom is not of this world, for he is not just the son of man. He is the son of God, and he will bring heaven down. And from this point on in Matthew's gospel, we will watch the high king of heaven usher in his kingdom here on earth and begin a heavenly revolution that is not governed by the rules of man or a puppet government set up by Rome. Throughout the pages of Matthew's gospel, we will listen to the king as he teaches his disciples. We will see the king heal. We will see the king perform miracles. We will see the king expand his kingdom of heaven here on earth. And in the pages of Matthew's gospel, we will even see the death of the king as he is nailed to a criminal's cross, paying the penalty for our sin. And in the pages of Matthew's gospel, we will see the resurrection of our king as he bursts forth victorious from the grave, victorious over sin and death as he leaves the tomb empty and he occupies the throne. This is Jesus and Jesus is king. Matthew ends some of the last words in his gospel are words of Jesus, where Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, as he's sitting on his throne, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and then he will ascend to heaven. Jesus is king and the king is here. I know because I've been preaching it for the past 25 minutes that this is, has kind of been intense. Like we're talking about kingdoms and, and heavens and there's judgment language and I want us to understand what's happening here in the first few chapters of Matthew. This is war. This is war. God's people are occupied, victims of another kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is coming to place, to take place of kingdoms set up here on earth that are not for God's glory and not for the good of people. And God has sent his son Jesus to establish a new kingdom. 
and other kingdoms will be overthrown and kings dethroned and, and it gets messy and it's hard. And it's not just for the people of the first century, it is for us to deal with as well. For Jesus is still king and Jesus is still here. When we met Matthew, we learned that he was a tax collector, befriended the kingdom's greatest enemy, and then the king of the, the kingdom invites Matthew to follow him, and Matthew gets up and he follows him, and it changes his eternity. And the, page, the words that he writes in this gospel are a story worth telling, but they're more than just a story. It's Matthew's testimony as well that he submitted to the high king of heaven and gave his life to him that he might step in and rule Matthew's life. Let me ask you a question. Is that a decision that we should make today? Some of us in the room have never made that decision. Maybe we've heard the words of Jesus, would you follow me? We've said, no, not right now. No, I'm not ready. I'm not good enough. Excuses that we've made to stay at our tax collecting booth, to, to, to sit on the throne of our lives because we like the way in which we govern ourselves, even though we know it always leads to disaster. Matthew's testimony is powerful because he followed Jesus. Matthew's gospel is convincing and compelling, not because he just stayed at a distance and observed this man. No, because he knew this man. This was his friend, this was his savior, this was his king. This is the Messiah that he waited for, he longed for with all of his people and he found him in Jesus, the fulfillment of all God's promises. And so let me ask you one more time. Are you standing, are you sitting on the throne of your life when you know that that place belongs to King Jesus? Today, if you're ready to step down from the throne and allow Jesus to rule and reign in your life for God's glory and for your good, I would encourage you to tell somebody about that. Encourage to ask somebody that you came with about baptism, about following Jesus. If you'd like to talk to a minister in the room, at the back of the room, there are tables and lamps and standing near them are ministers and they would love nothing more than to talk to you about King Jesus. For some of you, he is your king and you struggle like I do with stepping back onto that throne. Maybe there's something in your life that you need to confess. Maybe you confess it to somebody you came here with or you confess it to one of the ministers in the back of the room. Saying, man, I know that this throne belongs to Jesus, but I just keep going back to it to tell him this is how we should do it. This is how I wanna live my life and I know it's wrong. Man, after I say amen, if God is tugging at your heart, if the king is tugging at your heart, can I just encourage you to go and speak and share about what the king is doing in your life. The king is here to overthrow the false kingdoms and the false kings of this world. And I am excited for our church because the rest of the gospel of Matthew, we will see the kindness of the king and the goodness of the king as he brings glory to God and good to all people who would join him in his kingdom of heaven. And I want that for you. So I'm gonna pray and ask that God would stir in our hearts a love for him that denies self and gives our whole lives to him. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you so much for King Jesus. Thank you so much for your promises made to Abraham and to David and then fulfilled in Jesus. 
Father, we know that the Jewish people longed for, longed for the Messiah to come, and we know from the pages of Scripture that that promise is now not just for Israel, but for the whole world, and we are grateful for that. We are grateful to be grafted into the kingdom of heaven through your son Jesus by his death and resurrection. So Father, may we step down from the thrones of our lives so that he may step in and rule and reign for your glory and for our good. Father, we cannot do this ourselves for without Jesus, we can only attain disaster. So Father, would you allow us to humble ourselves so that Jesus might lift us up? I ask this in his name. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.